Barclay and Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sportsbook publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective. With Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog, follow on social media at Walk Wag Play. And also, Tony Park Consulting, helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com. This is Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. This episode we will be talking about the 2010-2011 season. I'm Wayne Barton, football writer and author, and joined by Paddy Barkley as always in the socially distant chair. How are yep. we doing, Paddy? Oh, very well indeed, thanks. Uh, great to talk to you again and uh, welcome to everybody who's listening. Thank you very much for doing so. We're really enjoying this and hope hope you are too. Yeah, and I am really enjoying it. It's just a shame that this episode, this series is um, going to come to an abrupt end in two seasons because I'm pretty sure that the Premier League ended in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> we, should, we should never speak about it again. <laughs> oh, this is my cue for a rounding chorus of uh, city city songs, but I won't subject you to that. Just you. Um, um, but uh, not that I'm a Man City supporter, but I would like to make that clear. I am a supporter of a current Premier League club, but for the season that we're about to go into, which is 2010-11, as Wayne just said, I, I do have a season ticket at, at Fulham, uh, as well as one of my hometown club, Dundee. But um, I, I'm, I, I'll be honest, I'm going to enjoy watching uh, Wayne uh, squirm <laughs> as, as Manchester turns blue. Anyway, um, the, the season that we're talking about, of course, is, is very much a... It, it, it is the domestic double that no one celebrated, i.e. Manchester United won the league, or all but won the league, on the same day as Manchester City won the FA Cup. So there you are, you've got Manchester, the, 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 the conurbation of Manchester wins the double and nobody's celebrating. So, um, yeah, it was, um, uh, yes, momentous season. Manchester United also reached the Champions League final and uh, that's one worth dwelling on uh, as and when we uh, the subject comes up at some stage during this episode. Yeah. <coughs> um, you know, I... <laughs> allow me to begin with um, United mm-hmm. as the champions of course. because um, I'm only going to get to that in this one more episode so um, <laughs> I might as well eke it while I can you mentioned that um, yeah, at the time as well United had a mm. banner in the um, Stretford end and it, it was increasingly unpopular because we knew it was going to end it was a, you will remember it it's the banner that ticked over every time City every time a season passed without City yeah. winning a, year, yeah. uh, a trophy and obviously they end that um, they, they end that way this season um, and obviously their FA Cup success as we'll talk about is um, a seed of a much greater <coughs> Um, triumph which was to follow um, but United then they before the season um, sometimes Ferguson he always used to talk about um, strengthening from a position of success mm. which he, he didn't do often enough I don't think but in this mm. instance from from a position of failure sometimes he mm-hmm. he didn't make major changes and the only real change the significant change he made this season was uh, Javier Hernandez, who signed the previous April for around six million pounds, um, mm. in the Community Shield, um, you get the idea that he's going to be 
Mm. Um, every sort of a social lie in that he's got this knack of opportunistic goal scoring because he scores with yeah. his scores with his face. He actually hits his knee and comes in <laughs> off his face, and he's like, "Oh, okay, this is um, a kind mm. of lucky charm." And he, and he knows really where was. the goal is. <laughs> yeah, and um, and he did. You know, he was he got off to mm. a flying start, but it was really um, the story of this early season. Paddy was dominated by mm. Wayne Rooney, who in October before a Champions League game mm-hmm. um, rocks Old Trafford with mm. a transfer request. I mean, United had been very good. I think they'd, in perhaps September there'd been a, a hugely controversial story about his private life, and United mm-hmm. had been good. I think Ferguson had rested him, he'd taken him out of the limelight because we were mm-hmm. playing Everton. And he thought that's a, he's going to get dog yeah, abuse. Quite, take him quite. out of the game, and then and then so you think well United are still doing the right thing. Obviously Rooney's got the on the back of this. We should say the 2010 World Cup. Rooney had not covered himself with glory, no, so United but... were really protecting him. And then he goes and um, rocks the club with the transfer request. <laughs> yeah, and what uh, would have particularly hurt uh, Ferguson and, and and others at the club about this? was that the rumours were circular. I mean, Ferguson would have known more than any of us will ever know about that episode. But the, the assumption was that uh, among the, the clubs that might have um, unsettled him, shall we say, were Manchester City. Mm. And, uh, so, uh, and other really big rivals of Manchester United, such as their, you know, their oldest established rivals in Europe, Real Madrid. So that, those were the kind of clubs that were credited with an interest in in Rooney and so uh, to lose you know to, to have lost Ronaldo to Real Madrid was uh, was one thing uh, but to lose a British player to Real Madrid um, as Spurs were later to do um, would have hurt quite a bit uh, particularly for Manchester United so whatever the shenanigans behind the scene Ferguson gave one of his finest I, 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 I was about to say acting performances. One of his most f- brilliant pieces of psychology when he appeared humbled, defeated at the press conference and said, you know, oh, we've got the violin, played the old soldier. Oh, Manchester United have done everything for the boy. You know, as if Manchester United was the Salvation Army rather than uh, uh, the world's most muscular football club. And... Um, one of them anyway, and, 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 and it was brilliant because it Im- immediately uh, turned Wayne Rooney into the villain. Yeah. And this doesn't always happen when, when players fall out. Sometimes they say, well, the club should give him whatever he wants and this, that and the other. But in this case, he, uh, Wayne Rooney was warned, including, I remember a, um, a very uh, a blog that you wrote. You were one of the people who did it, uh, saying you know, saying Wayne Rooney will regret this more. And in in doing that, I, I I think it was quite a successful blog, and it was because it it touched. It was it, it was it that thing you wrote was on the heartbeat was was definitely tuned into the heartbeat of the support, and that was Ferguson who did that, and that was brilliant. That meant that Ferguson and his agent Paul Stretford. <coughs> We're going to have to do because they didn't want to fall out with Manchester United uh, and, and fall out and, and for Wayne Rooney to be a, a sort of a villain at club as well as international level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely one up, well, in fact, three up at half time to Alex Ferguson and Manchester United. And uh, as everybody knows, he stayed, he stayed at United, which was probably the right thing 
for him as a footballer because he stayed and not only stayed, but he didn't play like a, a man with a grudge. He, he, he had a very good season, which ended with him scoring a, 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 an absolutely superb goal against Barcelona in the Champions League final. So, um, you know, that was, that was Sir Alex Ferguson at his, at his best, uh, at his off-the-field best, if you like. It was, and, and do you know what was funny about that? <coughs> Obviously, we talked in the last episode about the protests against the... Uh, such as they were... At the, mm. I wouldn't say they were protests at this point. It was loud discontent from the stands of the Glazers... Ownership yeah. and Ferguson himself had come under a little bit of criticism. That's all rightly so, yeah, because he, he backed them. What, what he said something like, "There's no value in the market." As um, Mesut Ozil had gone to Real Madrid, that's right, and David Silver, as we'll talk about, went to Manchester City, and United, you know, United fans were saying, well, "No value yeah. in the market." For the first yeah. time, really, in 15 years since maybe the <coughs> summer of '95, yeah. they were that's right. questioning the manager. So, for, I mean, the the thing is in football. I'm 72 and a half years of age and I've never known a time when there was value in the football market. <laughs> the fees are always obscene. Aren't they all? I mean, when Alf Common was transferred for a 1000 there were articles in the paper saying, how can a footballer be worth £1,000? Or was it 100 I can't remember. But I mean, <laughs> value in the market. Well, that was because he was deliberately uh, going low budget. But, uh, you know, if anybody any manager in the world could afford, afford to get away with going low budget to please the owners or to, to keep faith with a sort of tacit um, understanding with the owners, then it was Alex Ferguson. Because the one thing that's come through in um, doing research for, the, for this um, podcast is that the Manchester United players of the Ferguson era are all over the Premier League. Usually the lower reaches of it because, you know, they wouldn't leave United if they were, you know, ready for the top reaches. But later in the season, uh, United are battered by West Ham, relegation-bound West Ham in the Carling Cup quarterfinals. And uh, the first two goals were scored by Jonathan Spector. <laughs> now, he began his career at Manchester United as a striker. And wonderfully for him, Carlton Cole got the... Who, was it, who had a great season, even though he went down. Uh, Carlton Cole got the last two goals, but the first two were scored by Jonathan Spector. And what made it funnier than... Uh, well, must have made it more enjoyable for him, is that he was released as a striker. Made his career as a, as a full-back, central defender or occasional defensive midfield player but when he was a teenager he was a striker and he was released by United and here he is scoring the first two goals against them in the Carling Cup uh, but you know you've got Kieran Richardson you've got you, but you know it would take to we could spend the whole hour listing the former Manchester United players who are sprinkling the rest of the thing so what I'm saying is that the youth policy on it throughout the Ferguson years was so prolific that he could kind of get away with uh with um, you know not spending very much I would say and as well it's, sorry to interrupt but the, it was the a point, good signing though a good signing Chicharito I was, yeah that's the exact it sort of underlines the point he's probably Ferguson's last great bargain isn't he and, and it's <laughs> ironic to think we were talking about the summer of 95 back then his record signing cost 6 million and it was Andy Cole and, and we've evolved so far that 6 yeah. million is now a grand is uh, bargain yeah yeah, it, was, it, it certainly was a bargain uh, in my opinion he wasn't quite as good a striker as Solskjaer oh no no uh, I don't think he was quite so good but 
Uh, he was very, very good. And uh, he was what they needed at the time as a foil uh, for, for Rooney. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I think he definitely would go down as an absolute steal uh, at six million. Javier Hernandez, Javier, Javier Hernandez, or as he was known, Chicharito the Little P, um, was, uh, was, was, you know, his record for everybody, including his nation, Mexico, uh, is, uh, is really, really outstanding. He's a proper striker. Yeah. A little bit similar to Michael Owen as well. Yeah. And um, had a habit of uh, making sure his shots went in by putting him in the roof of the net. I don't know whether it was deliberate or what, but he, uh, that was another Solskjaer trait, of course, from 1999. But he, 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 he really was a, a proper striker, Chicharito, and could play a bit too. Yeah, um, he's, he was. He's, in, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I always have one the opportunity to go through the Football Writers Association Team of the Year, and Chicharito gets into it. Yeah, he's up front with Carlos Tevez, late of Manchester United, now of Manchester City. Uh, goalkeeper's Edwin Van der Sar, which uh, may raise some eyebrows, also of Manchester United. Kyle Walker of Spurs is at right back. Uh, Vincent Company, Manchester City is one of the centre backs, and so the other one is Nick, uh, Nemanja Vidic. I nearly said Nikola Vidic. Nemanja Vidic of Manchester United, Leighton Baines of Everton. Uh, such a constructive, excellent user of the of the of the set piece for, uh, signed by Everton. Yet another brilliant Moyes signing, signed from Wigan. Uh, Luka Modric is in the midfield. Scott Parker's also in the midfield. Um, with West Ham, even though they went down, he had such a good season that he was Football Writers Association Player of the Year. Gareth Bale, the Tottenham youngster, was uh, PFA, Footballers Footballer of the Year. Uh, and they also choose a young player, Jack Wilshere, who was also in the Football Writers Team of the Year, central midfield alongside Scott Parker. Gareth Bale is the outside, uh, this is the left side midfielder. Um, and I've already told you about Chicharito and Tevez up front. Okay, that, I managed to get that in. I always love to get that team in. Sorry, Wayne, I did interrupt you though. But I, the point about Hernandez is even more remarkable considering, you know, you look at the bare stats and it's 27 appearances and 13 goals in the league, but it's 15 appearances from the start, 12 from the bench, which, again, is yeah. underlining this Solskjaer comparison. I almost, I don't want to dwell too long on United because we've got so much to talk about in this, but yeah, talking but about, we've talked about Rooney and we've talked about Hernandez, it feels a little bit unfair on Dimitar, but Dimitar, who <laughs> scores five goals one week, scores an hat-trick the next, and then by yeah. sort of January, February, he's not the yeah. main striker anymore. No, no, it's, it's true. I think they wanted, there's just a feeling that Chicharito was a better foil for Rooney, I mean, when you look at it, Rooney, Berbatov, both like to peel off, use the ball. And um, maybe they were a little bit similar. You could say the same about Tevez. It, it, I mean, tremendous players. Who wouldn't want two similar players if they're both brilliant? Um, <clears throat> but I just think that in a lot of games, Ferguson wanted more of a run-through player like Chicharito um, uh, than an elegant one like Berbatov. But uh, it was interesting. It was the same approach we've we've spoken in, in a Manchester United context in previous episodes about how Ferguson was the master of the squad system and once again as in the pre previous two seasons he didn't have a team he didn't have a settled team you know but you often say oh yeah our manager doesn't know his best team well Ferguson might have known his best team but it's, it was a different best team for each game certain games 
uh, as poor old Nani found out in the Champions League final, Park was in his best team. Other games, Nani might have been. Uh, Berber, <coughs> four strikers, that, that's, that's okay. Berbatov, Rooney, uh, Chicharito, and of course Michael Owen um, coming on as a sub, usually. Um, but John O'Shea, we talk about you know how the Manchester United Ferguson's youth policy has just bought United a player here and there. John O'Shea, year after year, he plays 20, 25 games in a season. And, and, and in this game, he often was at right back instead of Raphael. Um, <clears throat> uh, Rio and Vidic, yes, but Smalling and Evans were there, you know, just coming through. Now, Smalling's not obviously not youth policy, but Evans is. Um, uh, Scholes, obviously. Um, was um, and uh, uh, Wes Brown also played a part in the season so um, you know there's a, a, a just that little bit of backbone of people who've been at Old Trafford since they were since they were a lad yeah a few of those as well would um, <coughs> be sold at the end of the season um, like Brown mm-hmm. and O'Shea I think it's their final knockings but um, you know some we talked about um, turnarounds, <laughs> you know, mm, yeah. with the Rooney being a, a, a fine case of that. But the actual turnarounds on the pitch for United, there were plenty of them this season. There was three to a mm. Blackpool. We'll talk about Blackpool's remarkable season a little later. Yeah. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Right. Um, they were three, two nil down at Blackpool, and then the lights went off at, at Bloomfield, mm. and um, they came back on, and then United scored three goals. Mm-hmm. Um, they were two nil down at West Ham. Um, Rooney gets a ban for swearing into the camera mm-hmm. as he scores a brilliant hat trick. United recover four two, but um, Rooney's imprint on the title is is felt with the penalty in the one one draw, which secures the nineteenth league title, therefore mm-hmm. making United the most successful um, mm-hmm. team in in, <coughs> in league yep. history. But really, Paddy, the, the standout moment for Rooney is the bicycle kick against Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Wonderful goal! It was. Uh, this is the trouble with uh, <coughs> brilliant uh, television cameras. It, it was off his ankle, you know. <coughs> this was proved. Um, doesn't mean it wasn't uh, one of the great goals of all time. I mean, the fact, the surprise. The centre backs were quite happy uh, when the cross came over from Nani. This was was it the last minute? It was no, one we, over. we were. I think it was around probably about twenty minutes ago or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. It was one one all. I think yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Nani plays this deep crop, deep deep curly cross, nice nice, good cross, and the centre backs are, well, they weren't as badly split as Rooney made them look, because, uh, company uh, company, and I can't remember who the other one was. Um, might have been that lad who came from Portugal and sort of disappeared. But anyway, the 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 centre backs are, are split, but not by much. So if Rooney had challenged in the air, he probably wouldn't have scored. One or the other of the centre-backs would have challenged him enough to put him off. So he just improvises this, this bicycle kick, which, which means that neither of the centre-halves are... Well, one can only go for it if he wants his head kicked off. Um, the other one, it's, it's, it's out of his reach. It, absolutely brilliant improvisation. And the bicycle kick, not only... Does it? I mean, sometimes you get unlucky. You hit it too straight, and the keeper makes what is described as a great reaction save. Um, no chance for the keeper this time because it's right in the top 
Yeah, the keeper's top left-hand corner, absolutely unsavable. And I particularly remember the celebrations uh, where he ran towards a corner of the uh, Old Trafford where he knew the City fans would be, you know, the away bit, that, that top corner <coughs> section. And he turned, but he didn't taunt them or anything. He just turned and did a sort of Beckham-like uh, Christ the Redeemer pose, but with his name pointing at the City fans. Great piece of drama, that. And, uh, and, a, and a great goal. One of the most memorable goals ever scored. But the, the, one other thing I'd just like to say about the, the entire campaign is that um, early doors, it looked like it was Chelsea again. Mm. It looked like uh, Ancelotti was going to pick up another title because um, uh, Chelsea had won their first five, scoring 21 goals and they were still leaders in late November uh, until United took over with us. You, you, you referred to it um, earlier. Uh, they beat Blackburn 7-1 Old Trafford and Berbatov got five. Yeah. Um, and, and that was it. That was United on top and, and that, was, that was it. There was a, a little wobble in February, March where they lost, um, lost at Wolves and then um, yeah, they, were un- they were unbeaten until they went to Wolves. Um, that not, was it. Not quite the unbeatables um, or the invincibles. They didn't <laughs> yeah. play with that kind of swagger. But um, yeah, the Wolves were the two. And then they had a few defeats towards the end. But like you said, they yeah. were in, sort of in control of the... And they, they sealed it with that very convincing win against Chelsea in in May. Um yeah, scored in the first minute, and Andes comes. He, he's he's broken through. I think Park plays him through, and um, and Andes scores a great goal. Um, to, perhaps Vidic scores the other goal in that game, and in, in United. Yeah, Vidic header. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they win two one. They get to Wembley to play the Champions League final, Paddy, and Rooney scores mm. another fine goal in this game. And it, <laughs> I should have known better. But Rooney scores the goal, and I think, oh, maybe. You know, I've got a little bit of hope about me. But, yeah, um, because at that stage, I mean, Barcelona had really given, uh, even by their standards, a masterclass. I mean, I'd seen them in the semi-finals uh, against Madrid, I mean, they really won it in the first leg in Real Madrid, where uh, Jose Mourinho played a quite a brutal uh, tactic, you know, basically uh, defending and, and, and kicking. And Pepe got himself sent off. But it was still, they didn't cross the halfway line then, Real Madrid. So Barcelona had to break them down. Um, and, and, and Messi, of course, did it, uh, creating one goal for, I think, Affele, and then doing one of his classic slalom so I knew that this was a special Barcelona team and I did think they would beat Manchester United and I thought they would put on a show at Wembley um, and but I, I mean this was one of the great performances in a Champions League final uh, I mean I saw during my career I, I saw 30 odd Champions League or European Cup finals and uh, I remember seeing Pep Guardiola playing in the first Champions League final which was it 92, I think, at Wembley against Sampdoria for Barcelona. But uh, this time, uh, Pep was in charge of Barcelona and this was really, really fantastic football. It, what well, they, they really took control of the game right from the start and Messi and Villa in tandem, David Villa uh, in tandem, were just unstoppable. I mean, van der Sar was so overworked and... Um, 
he was beaten by Pedro. I think the first, yeah, the first goal was was Pedro. Um, a, a lovely pass from Xavi into space, and then I th- this was one of Pedro's best ever games, you know. Yeah. And he waits. He's got Van der Sar at his mercy, and he waits for Van der Sar to shift his weight onto his right foot. In other words, towards the the further of the two posts for a classic sweep across the keeper. And as soon as Van der Sar shifted his weight, he slips inside the near post. I mean, absolute. I mean, Messi had done that. You'd said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was Pedro, absolutely brilliant, um, almost verging on arrogance. Then, of course, as you say, Rooney plays a one-two with Giggs and and uh, hits that lovely shot that just veers away from. Victor Valdez would have been the keeper yeah. and um, that's a super goal that and uh, but it's uh, you know there was a bit of hope for Manchester United you know, goals change games um, but then Messi gets a low drive that skims past Ed van der Sar and you wonder you really wonder how old would Ed van der Sar have been at that time he was, on he for was definitely 40 and he was re- yeah. this was his retirement at that particular moment you know, you were reminded that he was 40. Yeah. Um, w- Messi's had better shots than that, probably, that haven't been goals. But uh, anyway, that was it. We then get an absolutely great goal that uh, you could have had five goalkeepers and it wouldn't have, you wouldn't have stopped it. It was a curler by David Villiers, who had a great game. And he, it was one of those ones where you, you use a defender to curl it round. But it still must have curled way outside the near post and Van der Sar had, saw it all the way couldn't stop it just curled inside high up you know almost in the postage stamp um, and then it just went on um, United had a couple of half chances late on but that that was it and at the end um, Ferguson who'd very warmly greeted Pep Guardiola at the beginning of the match and you thought, well, he won't be too ha- as, as happy at the end. But his congratulations were very sincere. If you remember it, he he he, he smiled and, and congratulated Pep and patted him on the back to say, "You've just supervised one of the great performances in Champions League history." Um, and that's exactly what it was. Um, I, I, I really, I mean, they'd 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 beaten United two three years earlier, but this was something different. This would be. As I say, I saw a lot of finals, and and this would be uh, up there with Milan four, Barcelona two in '93. Was it '93 or '94? '93. Yeah, I can't remember which of it it was, but it was early '90s, and um, that was Fabio Capello's Milan against uh, Johan Cruyff's Barcelona, and four nil, and that was that was that was quite one-sided, but it was. It was more of a tactical triumph uh, in, rather than one for sheer flair, um, which the, um, well, the Barcelona and Man United one was. And then I suppose you'd have to go back to Real Madrid and Eintracht in 1960, where a teenage Alex Ferguson was among the, the crowd at Hampton Park. So, uh, for the great ones. But that, that would, of the ones I actually saw, um, I would. I mean, I preferred the Barcelona performance than the Milan against against Barcelona um, all those years earlier, but um, they would be the best two performances in in victory in a Champions League final. Um, and also, that I, that I ever saw. 
statement site, uh, statement performances. Like you know, like everyone remembers Brazil four nil. Mm. Yeah, this was very much. This is everything you want to see about Barcelona. Um, yeah. On on, you just watch that tape. If you if anyone ever wants to watch, but. But you know, asks yeah, just, how good was just, that Barcelona game? Exactly. Uh, team was. Just that that it, even the highlights, you know, just the, watching the goals, and you understand exactly what it was all about—the movement, the total mastery over the ball, and of course, behind everything, Xavi, yeah. one of my favourite players. Prompt, prompt, prompt. In fact, I wouldn't say he was one of my favourite players. I'd say he's one of my one of the greatest conductors. He's. He, he's Herbert von Harahan, Karahan, easy for me to say, and some Malcolm Sargent and Simon Rattle, all blended into one. Oh, he, I love love Xavi, and, and, and he was really at the heart of prompting, prompting, prompting all through that game. Absolutely wonderful. And yes, they're not too shabby either. Shabby, no, I, I shouldn't have tried that. Um, and uh, in fact, Iniesta tried a really... Barcelona don't like flash, but... But Iniesta tried in, in this game, he tried a really, really cheeky one. The ball, a, a sort of long ball, a rare Barcelona long ball came through and he found a little bit of space in the sort of inside right channel, about 40 yards from goal. Keeper must have been inevitably off his line a bit. And, but he received it, Iniesta, on the half turn. So you wouldn't have expected him to, you know, try a volley and he did little side foot volley it was off target but what a goal that would have been um, yeah absolutely terrific and I won't put you through any more torture Wayne <laughs> or the, uh, but it was I, I, I think you've taken defeat, that defeat with, with a grace that, uh, that it was delivered um, Chelsea wanted a catalyst um, in, in the form of Xavi but they wanted it to come up front with Fernando Torres Mm-hmm. Um, signing for fifty million pound after that incredible yep. start to the season. You know, they, like you said, we've talked about teams starting the season well before, but good grief! Yeah. I mean, this is you think that they were good last season, and and this season it's just you think that they're going to be something else completely. Yep. Two, with two six nils to start the season, so they're not yep. struggling with goals. But they bring mm-hmm. in Torres, and it, it just doesn't work out for them. Yeah, I mean, the old city, Manchester City fans of a certain age will 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 say that that Torres was Ancelotti's uh, Rodney Marsh, you know, <laughs> by trying to improve on near perfection, and and it goes wrong. Um, but um, yes, uh, as you say, rightly say, Drogba and Elka started the the season, you know, um, Lampard as well, you know, all scoring goals. And Maluda scoring a lot of goals. Flora Maluda, who is a very good player, and, and, and in the last two, two or three episodes, we've used, I mean, he's come in quite a lot, quite rightly, because he's a very significant player. And um, all chipping in with, with goals. Um, uh, Daniel Sturridge, uh, who wasn't to finish the season at Chelsea, but uh, you know he chipped in with Salomon Kalou, who I know you like. Uh, was chipping in with a few Essiet Ramirez mm. uh, and of course Lampard and uh, you know uh, a, a, a terrific uh, terrific side and what could possibly go wrong when they, they've already got one of the best centre forwards in Europe uh, in Didier Drogba so they say well why not have two of the best centre forwards in Europe by signing Fernando Torres for a, a British record 50 million quid Um and, and uh, it was a mistake, uh, as simple as that. 
whether it was Ancelotti who signed him or whether it was Abramovich who signed him, well, there's no point in ringing Abramovich and asking him, is there? Uh, so um, we don't know, but uh, it, was, it wasn't a great signing because Torres had gone. Uh, he, he was still a very, very good player, but that sort of dynamism sometimes goes out of a player's legs. Um, he was only, what, 29 when the, when the move was made. But what people kind of forget is that he, he, he was in the Atletico Madrid team when he was 17, I think. Yeah. Very, very young. So he'd been playing for a long, long time. And holding up teams, that's another factor that you sometimes have to take into account. It can be very difficult uh, when you're the main man of a team. And, and both at Liverpool and at Atletico Madrid, he'd been, and with Spain, you know, he'd been, a lot had been resting on his shoulders for a long, long time. Um, and But anyway, they did not get uh, the Fernando Torres who had played for Liverpool, Spain and everybody else. Um, he scored only one league goal. He had 14 league appearances, uh, six of them as sub. Uh, he scores one goal in that time and the Chelsea fans are saying, oh no, we've signed another Sheva. Yeah. Shevchenko, you know, and, and to an extent they had. Yeah. Um, difficult season for Chelsea then, but Man City, um, after having their own sort of trouble trying to break into the top four, they oh, yeah. decide this time they're going to rubber stamp their place yeah. in the top four without a problem. And yeah. Their hoovering of talent this time is a decidedly more continental flavour. Yaya Toure comes in from Barcelona, David yeah. Silva from Valencia, Edin Dzeko, Kolarov, Milner, Boateng, Balotelli. They spend around 145, 150 million pounds. That is mm. comfortably money well spent, and they're comfortably in third place with Carlos Tevez in great form. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, this finally, you know, we can say it now because we, we saw what it led to. This is the new Manchester City. This is a team, this is a champion a yeah. team a team of future champions. I mean, these are proper players, all the ones. Um, Mancini's the manager at this stage, and one or two of the signings are from Italy. Balotelli, Kolarov uh, came from, from Italy. Um, uh, but really, they were hand-picking the best players they could find. Um, Yaya Toure, um, who... You became a Premier League legend for me. Became one of the yeah. great players, and he was a huge player in this season. He scored uh, the goal that won them their first trophy of this era of of, of first trophy for God knows how many years. Um, but when they beat Stoke in the FA Cup final, Yaya scored that goal. He uh, he scored the goal that got them there uh, as well. Uh, he scored so twice at Wembley, and. Um, and uh, well, they had Gareth Barry there, but uh, De Jong uh, still playing in that holding mid role. In fact, Barry and De Jong both play holding mid because, you, you know, to give the likes of Milner, David Silva, and Yaya, you know, opportunity to support uh, Tevez, Balotelli, or Zeko, or whoever was up in attack. Um, the back four was, was really solid, but with an attacking dimension. Zabaleta Colo, Colo Toure or uh, Jerome Boteng who did signed at that time uh, he couldn't really 
force his way past Colatouré and Vincent Company, and Kolarov is an attacking left back. So it was it was all set up for the great era that was to follow. Joe Hart, I almost forgot to mention Joe Hart. At this time, Joe Hart was was a superb goalkeeper. He would be yeah. ranked among the best in Europe, the young Joe Hart. And uh, um, he'd been away on loan in Birmingham, I think, and he'd come back and was looking really tremendous. In fact, you know, there was a general feeling that whatever problems England have uh, certainly doesn't include goalkeeper, nor will it do for the next 10 years. Um, that was so they, they, they had the, the best, you know, every, in every position. Um, or, you know, or as close to the best as they could get in, in every position. Um, and uh, third, it was first Man Mancini's first full season, finished third. It was second for a spell in midwinter, uh, but never a real threat to Man United when it mattered near the end of the, the league campaign. Um, uh, they played two one-all draws with Juventus in the Europa League, you know, getting ready for the new dimension that the club was about to um, about to to embark on um, not, I, not, I just quite, not quite Fulham then uh, not quite Fulham no uh, no they didn't do as well as Fulham but come on hey you've got to be realistic Adebayor has gone by the way that's why they signed Dzeko I think yeah. and Balotelli um, James Milner they just mentioned you know they, they always want to have a couple of English ones around so Milner uh, and, and Milner was looking tremendous uh, at that time, as indeed he still is. Uh, Adebayo went to Real Madrid. Um, uh, Rocky Santa Cruz left, but he'd never really been a big player. Uh, Craig Bellamy, who had been a decent player for City, he also went, didn't make the cut. He went uh, to Cardiff uh, in mid-season. Uh, sorry, no, he, he spent the entire season at Cardiff uh, playing 30 matches for them. So... Um, Yep, that's uh, Man City season. It's it's good, but there's better to come. There is um, a great season for Stoke City and the who they're beaten finalists oh, yes. in the FA Cup. Um, good story about well, not a good story, but the story behind it from Danny Higginbottom's point of view. You know that I know him well. Mm, he scored I in do. the quarterfinal. Um, did they play in the quarterfinal? Now they played West Ham in the quarterfinal. He scores a free kick. <laughs> in the quarterfinal, they go to Wembley. They can't believe that they've got this game against Bolton. Um, and in the very next game, Danny um, suffers a cruciate knee injury against uh, Chelsea. So he's going to miss. Um, you know, he played for United. Played, um, you know, some game. He went to that trip in Brazil. Played against Melbourne. You know, so there's um, you know some pedigree to Danny's career, but he's going to mm. miss out on these two tri two trips to Wembley. Um, mm. And you mentioned Stoke playing Bolton. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that as probably their cup final, didn't you, in the notes? And, you know, yeah, yeah. It kind of was, wasn't it? Yes. It was a, that was a really exciting performance from Stoke. They're, okay, not known, uh, for, known for effectiveness rather than flair and excitement, but that was a very vivid performance they gave against Bolton. 5-0 um, at Wembley. Um, Matthew Etherington, who had a tremendous season, at, 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 well, had a, a great phase of his career at Stoke. As a, the, the, the love, love two wingers, had two great wingers at that time. J uh, Jermaine Pennant was the other one. In fact, I think he was the man of the match in the semi at Wembley. I thought he was fantastic. Um, so they had Pennant and Etherington, two proper wingers. Uh, amazing. It was, you know, like the 1950s. 
and um, and really exciting, both of them too. Uh, Jermaine Pennant's career, of course, never quite was fulfilled. It still goes on. But um, yeah, the, uh, Etherington got the first. Uh, lovely strike. Um, uh, Ho- uh, Robert Huth got the second. Um, uh, Pennant set up the third for Kenwyn Jones. And then Walters got two. Now, was Jonathan Walters ever at Manchester United but as a kid? I don't no, think so. Don't think so. But Etherington was. Matt yeah. Etherington was. So, you know, uh, uh, every now and again, I shall try and reinforce my point about uh, the Manchester United youth system having produced for other clubs. But, um, yeah, 5 0, uh, a really, really exciting victory. And, and they did actually play okay in the final. It was, it, it was only 1 0. Uh, Yaya Toure is scoring, as I said before, and I, I remember it as a half decent game. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't as one sided as you as you might think. Yeah, they were unfortunate. I mean, Kenwyn Jones was a great player and a good replacement for Ricardo mm. Fuller, but Fuller was also missing from the final with Danny. So you know, yeah, he didn't play all that many games Fuller uh, that year. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they relied on uh, they had a, a work, very workmanlike side, but with those very exciting wing, wingers and a very considerable centre forward in Cameron Jones. We um, we normally <coughs> go down the table and we should close out the Champions League spots, and we will do that. But how can we really continue this episode? We've got to flip the script and, and start talking okay. about Blackpool, haven't we? Really? We've got to yes, give Blackpool we do because... a little bit of um, credit because. They're up for their single season in the Premier League. And we've talked about abysmal promoted sides and teams who yep. haven't scored a lot and teams who yep. haven't won a lot and they don't have very many memories to come away with the Premier League. But um, that's not Blackpool. They, li- they left an impression, didn't they? And they certainly did. They had a magnificent season. Uh, Ian Holloway was the manager. And probably the best way of of describing their season, the season of relegation, and by the way, even their relegation was was was, was glorious in its way. Um, uh, they were relegated by only one point, but they they scored in the league fifty five goals in the league. Now, to put that in context, that was the same as fifth place Spurs, and only five. We talked about Manchester City with Yaya Toure and Balotelli and Dzeko and Tevez and, and David Silva and all that. Blackpool only scored five fewer goals than Manchester City yeah. in the whole in the season. So that's an idea of how exciting that team was. They just went out and and scored and conceded, um, and they had lots of. I, I, you know, they weren't mugs. They were good players. It was Jilts or Kingston in goal. My favourite, uh, well, one of my favourites in the team was the right back, Airdley, Neil Airdley. Uh, he was tremendous in the whole season. Lovely feet. Um, I think he had in a sort of injury-afflicted career because he looked at, it, it, to me, in the season, throughout the season, he looked, he's, you're thinking... He could play in the top four, this lad. Anyway, uh, Chris Cathcart, another former Manchester United player, yes? Yeah. And Evert, was it Ian Evert at centre-back? They were not bad, but I must admit they didn't have a a great defence, but because the whole team was attacking, Craney at left-back. David Vaughan in the midfield, the great Charlie Adam, wonderful, wonderful uh, 
a technical player, uh, probably the star of the team in midfield. Uh, got to mention the forwards, DJ Campbell scored yeah. goals. Varney was, uh, gave good support. So did Taylor Fletcher. Um, hyphenated uh, sort of attacker, uh, auxiliary attacker. So, I mean, this was a, a memorable team. I loved watching them. I absolutely loved watching them. And as I said before, their, um, even their relegation was glorious because they, they had two games to go and Bloomfield Road was absolutely packed for a game against Bolton Wanderers. Now, if there are any old geezers, old, almost <laughs> as old as me listening, uh, they will know the special significance of Blackpool and Bolton Wanderers is that it, that was the local derby that was the famous cup, FA Cup final of 1953, the Stanley Matthews final, uh, which uh, Blackpool won 4-3. And wouldn't you know, in front of a packed Bloomfield Road, Blackpool win 4-3 against Bolton again. And this time the star isn't Stanley Matthews, obviously. It's Charlie Adam. Uh, who scores two goals, one of them an absolute worldie. And uh, uh, it's just a, a reminder of what a super player he was and how destined he was uh, not to uh, be, uh, not to play at the lower level, which, which Blackpool were now condemned to, uh, by their final match where they had to, well, they, they went to Old Trafford for their final match, believing they had to win it. And... Because of this, and perhaps memories of Tevez, the Premier League issued a sort of warning to Manchester United, don't weaken your team, don't, look, don't be looking to Buembley and the Barcelona game that was coming up. You know, make sure that, you, you know... Uh, anyway, that was fair enough. And, um, and yet, Blackpool were 2-1 uh, up uh, at one stage. Uh, they scored one particularly good goal. I'm trying to remember who scored it. Can't, um, can't quite remember, but uh, it was... Uh, well, Charlie Adam had scored their first and then, yes, it was Taylor Fletcher who got the uh, the second goal. That was Blackpool 2-1 up and in all probability safe. And Anderson equalises. Poor old Everett, the centre-back, scores a really unfortunate one of these own goals where you, you just wish you didn't dangle your leg out, but it goes into the past the keeper and then Michael Owen made it 4-2 so that was Blackpool down but but a glorious glorious uh, season perhaps uh, one thing that might have helped them slightly was uh, the instant knockouts in both domestic cups uh, but even so 55 league goals uh, I still to this day salute Holloway's Blackpool yeah, a double over Liverpool a win over Spurs so they, they went into that final they thinking, you know, it wasn't beyond them to get the win, and, and like you said, nope. they, they were they were there for a minute. You, you said they you know, it obviously they, they did rotate the side somewhat because you've got Anderson playing, you've mm -hmm. got um, mm -hmm. Michael Owen playing as mm -hmm. well. But mm -hmm. this had been a, a common thread throughout the season, and it'd been somewhat started by Ian Holloway as well. Because in a game against Aston Villa, um, yeah. obviously, we know by this point, um, teams and managers rotate heavily for the league yeah, games and, and, yeah. and, and that's never been a problem but in this <laughs> earlier season game against Aston Villa because it's a busy calendar Holloway thinks do you know what this league game I think I could probably sacrifice this one 
for future yeah. league games and he, he he makes 10 changes to the team and he's fined £25,000. Yeah. I, I found this bizarre because yeah. you, you put squad limitations in place. Yes. You're, they're very stringent. You know, you, you've got to put in certain amount of underage players, homegrown players. It was a squad of yeah. something like 25 players. You've got to name them all. And the yep. only players who can play after that, you've either got to apply for an emergency or they've got yep. to be from your academy. So you yep. name the squad, which the managers are allowed to use, yep. and he makes 10 changes and he gets fined £25,000. What is all yeah. that about? Well, it, well it, exactly, because what you can't do is, is reach into a manager's mind. It's very difficult. I mean, I, I, I feel sorry for everybody in this situation. And the only way you can actually... Um, you can actually solve it is by good faith among managers. And you probably noticed, um, I, I mentioned your uh, Manchester United's uh, Carling Cup defeat earlier at West yeah. Ham. And you probably noticed this, that when you look at teams, uh, Premier League teams, say you've got one against West Ham who are a top team, Manchester United are a top team, and you say, oh, Ferguson's left out five players. You know, the bench might be Rooney, Berbatov, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's still a, it's a strong team, you know. But um, uh, Ferguson's left out six players. And then you look at West Ham, and they've left out six as well. I sometimes think, and I have no evidence for this at all, that managers say, uh, you know, agree that they'll field a certain team and that there's an, almost an element of collusion, uh, a good collusion. Fair collusion. Um, but what you, you just don't know if when Holloway made 10 changes, you don't know whether Holloway looked at the graphs and decided that it'd be better with 10 fit, fully yeah. fit and rare to go second choices rather than his first 11. I mean, I don't know if, 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 if it was or, or wasn't. But how can anybody delve into Holloway's mind and say you're a liar or, or, or you did the right thing yeah. or what you did was in good faith. So you've just got to rely on the manager's good faith. Yeah, especially There's no, no real answer to it. You could argue that, you know, in, in terms of Blackpool season, those three points would have kept them up. So yeah. he's not, it's not self-sabotage. He's, he's, doing, no. he's playing the long game and, you know, yeah. he's punished exactly. by the loss. Isn't that yeah. enough? Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so that was Blackpool, a great season. And, you know, he's, <laughs> we've talked about clubs that have gone through turmoil ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, they, their spells in the Premier League and it's, oh, God, what's happening to them? Uh, with their ownership hasn't been great. Um, but they, they, were, they have left an incredible impression in the Premier League. Um, I do yeah. remember that game that United played in in Bloomfield uh, Road yeah. because they were it was postponed because they, we had a winter freeze that um, in 2010 mm. a lot of games were postponed over like I think it was two yeah. weekends and this was one of the rescheduled games and I can remember thinking at the time um, that we had I think we'd done well to have that game rescheduled because Blackpool were on a good run 
um, yeah. form. They they were winning away away games as well. Um, anyway, so we Blackpool. We've talked about Blackpool. Let's talk about Arsenal to close out the top four. Then um, yeah. a lot of familiarity about this Arsenal season. Um, yes, we started to become accustomed to their late season collapse. Mm-hmm. So they they lose. Three of the last five, they they finish in fourth place. They, they exit the Champions League to Barcelona, despite mm-hmm. a thrilling first leg winner, I should say as well. When you're thinking they showed the way to play against Barcelona, um, yeah. their season's really summed up by we talked about familiarities, and they were a team who'd gone through a few four-four draws in the past. There's only yeah. one this season, and it's Arsenal at Newcastle, and for a while it shouldn't have been anywhere near four-four-four. It should be four-nil to Arsenal, shouldn't it? Oh yeah, it was four nil, four nil to Arsenal. An incredible uh, game of football there. At, uh, obviously, Wenger's the manager of Arsenal, and Alan Pardew was in charge of Newcastle at the time. And it was an amazing game because it, at first it looked like a really embarrassing pasting, home pasting for Newcastle. Walcott, uh, whose pace on the break was a feature of the season for Arsenal, a, a sort of peripheral. Marginal feature compared with some of the other things. Juru uh, got a header, then Van Persie got a couple, and I mean Arsenal were just rampant. But then Joey Barton began to affect the game. I don't know what he did to Abu Diaby, but because it was off camera, but Diaby was so angry that he shoved him to the uh, Barton to the ground. And uh, Diaby was sent off. So a 10-man Arsenal. Barton then converts a penalty to make it 1-4. And it's quite interesting. If you watch the thing, Barton grabs the ball from the keeper and, uh, and, and runs back purposely, yeah. purposefully with it. Um, an interesting figure called Leon Best then scored. Uh, do you remember him? Got a, hat, a famous hat-trick in, uh, for, in one of Newcastle's big win but his career just sort of kind of fizzled out um, but he then got one uh, Joey Barton gets another penalty it's 3-4 and St James Park's going absolutely mad but not as mad as it is when the late equaliser is scored by the late sadly Chiek Teote a left footed volley an absolute screamer and uh that's it for all. One of the one of the games of the season, really. If uh, maybe not for meaning, but for uh, entertainment. Wow, uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, but that, that, apart from that, yeah, Arsenal played a lot of football. They had huge, um, huge amount of technique and skill. Abu Diaby's playing the odd game, as we mentioned. Uh, he was a very good player, and but unfortunately injury prone, so he didn't didn't play that many. But um, he uh, he was there with Samia Nasri, uh, you know Thomas Rosicki occasionally. Um, uh, Cesc Fabregas, absolute key holding player. Uh, Song um, uh, Arshavin, uh, Andre Arshavin, you know, so loads of lovely skill. Uh, Marwan Chamak um, with a bit of bit of weight up front. Um, Three goalkeepers in the season, Almunia, Fabianski, and Suchesny. It's just the Polish guy. And uh, uh, absolutely 117 goals in all competitions. But um, 
led by Van Persie, of course, with uh, 18 in the league alone, uh, Nasri, Walcott, Chamak, and uh, Ashavin all all weighing in. Um, so it was a it, it was it was a decent season, but as you say, a familiar fourth place. Oh, and by the way, they also should have picked up a trophy um, because um, uh, they were the, the the final was against Birmingham, whose real real priority was avoiding relegation. There were 14, 15 places between the clubs at at, at Wembley. Um, and Birmingham uh, beat them 2-1 and I, I seem to remember very much on merit um, with uh, the winner a, 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 well a tragicomic um, collision in late on between Koscielny it was a long ball batted down yeah. the middle Koscielny was, a, was about to hoof it and then sort of dangled his foot as if he was expecting the, well the keeper was coming out Anyway, he should have really just uh, put it in Rose Ed, but he dangled his foot and the ball bounced off uh, Chesney uh, to Obafemi Martins, who, well, he scored the easiest goal he's ever scored in his life into an empty net. And that was it. I mean, Wembley was reverberating. Birmingham City had won a trophy. And uh, yeah, totally deserved on the day. It was a very, very spirited performance. Um, uh, by Alex McLeish's side. Yeah, great, great um, achievement for Birmingham, but obviously the the, um, the struggles in in the Premier League are too much. Yeah, they they, they, go down. they went down. They were they took the took took the took the trophy down. Uh, they had two years up under Alex McLeish. Um, um, after the relegation, McLeish was to give way to Chris Hutton. Um, who lost his job during the season we're talking about um, in uh, um, in in the winter, and that was yet another controversial departure from the Newcastle manager's job. But we'll no doubt come on to that. Um, another good thing for you know for Birmingham, another highlight was that they beat the beat the local rivals Villa, Aston Villa, on the on the way to the to the Carling Cup final. And uh, and they did. They had a drama on the last day. They nearly stayed up. Um, Craig Gardner, I remember scoring at Tottenham. I think they only needed an equal. They only needed equality at Tottenham. And Craig Gardner got an equaliser. But then uh, Pavlyuchenko got a, a goal in the last minute, and that was that was uh, Birmingham relegated. Um, we we discussed their side in a bit of. Uh, a bit of detail. Another player who I thought was quite good was a guy called Keith Fay in midfield. We mentioned Barry Ferguson last episode, um, but uh, he was he was a he, he had a very good season in my opinion, um, and and also a dramatic as a sort of Wembley hero was uh, Nikola Zigic, who got the first, Birmingham's first goal against Arsenal with a header, and it was his header that. Uh, Chesney and uh, Christiani couldn't deal with the, gave the winner to so um, yeah that was uh, useful and it was a, it was it was a reasonable season but it ended in relegation yeah you would have thought that and it almost brought my trophy the, the presence of someone like Zigic um, six yeah. foot eight or something like that yeah so, uh, a very Take good big. like um, it wasn't I mean 
Peter Crouch, a great forward, but he gets characterised as being this, you know, obviously everyone knows it. it yeah. The sort of good touch for a big man originates yeah, with yeah, Crouch, yeah. but Ziggich was very much like that. He had a lot of physicality as well. Um, yeah. Talking about standout performances, um, Gareth Bale for Spurs. They finished fifth. They have a really poor second half of the season, which means that they don't qualify for the Champions League. But this season is all about the emergence of Bale. And really, the, the memory, the abiding memory, is the hat trick that he scores at the San Siro in a 3 4 defeat at, against Inter. But yeah. the hat trick is almost one goal on repeat three times, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah, really, really spectacular. Um, I mean, they also had a spectacular uh, defeat in this Champions League thing. But uh, yeah, they they were beaten by Real Madrid four um, nil at the Bernabeu, one nil at White Hart Lane. But I think Peter Crouch might have been sent off in the Bernabeu. But um, it was um, yeah, a slip of one place in the league under Harry Redknapp, but because of uh, the success against not only Milan but Inter as well I mean it's nice nice little double to have on your uh, you know not a nice little pair of notches on your belt you know in when you you know relatively unused to European competition in this era but that was very very exciting and, and as you say the emergence of Bale as a real star um, another player who deserves mention who was bought just just at the start of the season was Raphael van der Vaart Oh yeah, uh, who had, had a tremendous uh, year, thirteen goals. Pavlyuchenko, we mentioned earlier, got nine. Bale seven. That's just in the league, but they scored twenty-five goals in the Champions League. That was it was a great run, and uh, that was Crouch, Pavlyuchenko, and and Bale. Bale got another four. So it was well into double figures for the season. Gareth Bale and and established as a star. Um, not much change in the team that we talked about in the last episode. Uh, Lennon still on on the other wing, Modric still the star man in midfield, um, but they, uh, Raphael van der Vaart certainly gave them more strength up front with not just Defoe and Crouch, uh, but Pavlyuchenko and van der Vaart uh, able to cope with the the two campaigns at home and abroad. Uh, Dawson also had another good season uh, at centre back. Um, Kabul also played at centre back, but for for me, Kabul always looked like a a great player who never quite did it. He he had everything. He could control a ball. He could he could pass. He was big and strong, and yet he never quite was the player he could have been uh, for me. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to finish on a on a downbeat when you're talking about this Tottenham season because it was a really good one. Um, and one that uh, is, is still remembered and very much associated with Bale. Yeah, um, memorable for the wrong reasons at Anfield. Liverpool bringing Roy Hodgson to succeed, Rafa Benitez. Oh. It does not go well. Um, just to put it into context, we all know what Liverpool were capable of a couple of years earlier than this. On match day seven, eight, and nine this season, they're in the relegation zone. This mm. despite the signings of Joe Cole and. and Koncheski, which are sort of like modest signings um, yeah. to bulk out the squad, but it doesn't work out. It looks, instead of modest, it looks yeah. un- unambitious. And Yeah, there was no money at that time because uh, Hicks and Gillette, who, the Americans who you'd mentioned, who owned the club, and you mentioned them in the last episode, and you mentioned their in- intense unpopularity, which was true. Um, 
but things were going to get better for Liverpool fans on that front. But it, unfortunately, uh, the beneficiary was not Roy Hodgson. It was just a terrible, terrible, uh, a terribly ill-fated move. Uh, the background to his move, I mean, obviously he was, you know, the top, he'd been a top manager for the last two seasons with, with Fulham, not only taking them to the highest league position of all time, seventh, um, but the year after that, taking them to extra time in the Europa League final. So he was the obvious choice, but what, uh, for Liverpool, but unfortunately, another person who wanted the job was Kenny Dalglish. Yeah. I mean, Hodgson and Dalglish were great friends, but uh, he was always seen, Roy Hodgson, for me, by the Liverpool fans as the anti-Kenny, you know, as the, as the guy who got it when our hero should have been restored to the management. And um, so he was up against that. He was up against the fact that his signings were viewed as underwhelming, uh, particularly Konczewski, uh, who'd been with him at Fulham. Um, and Joe Cole was certainly, you know, past his best at this stage. Um, but it was, the, the budget, at, 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 you know, it defeated Rafa, Rafa Benitez. Liverpool's aspirations, you know, they always thought, you know, they always wanted to win the league. And you remember when they won 4-1 at Old Trafford and everybody thought, you know, you know move, move out schools and gigs, move in Torres and uh, Gerrard. But they didn't have the budget to cope with that kind of um, uh, kind of uh, ambition. Anyway, they um, he was sacked on in January, Roy Hodgson, um, and replaced by uh, Kenny Dalglish, and that and it seemed to work. Uh, they'd lost nine league games in half a season. They'd been Chelsea, Liverpool. It wasn't all bad under Hodgson. And, uh, and they lay 12th. Um, and Hodgson's last team was uh, included Skirtle, uh, Koncheski, Glenn Johnson, Lucas was all right. Um, Raul Mereles, remember him? All right. Um, and a, a, a still terrific but fading Torres. And he didn't last long because as in that January win window when Dalglish came in, in in place of Hodgson. Uh, that was the window that Torres went uh, to Chelsea for 50 million. So the star player goes, but they, the, in the long term, it was a brilliant window that for, for Liverpool because they signed Andy Carroll. Well, that didn't work, but they signed Luis Suarez. So they signed somebody as good as... Torres in the long run and uh, and uh, and they finished sixth they got the Kenny bounce you know a um, couple of good results um, they got to the third round of Europa League but they finished it was in the league that was impressive they finished sixth which was a one up from the previous season under Benitez, under Benitez. Um, and basically they finished with a with a bit of a bit of hope you know a bit of hope in their hearts you know there was uh, uh, Kenny was back and you know everything was was in its place uh, it wasn't quite to work out to uh, work out like that but uh, yeah there was a, a definite feeling of relief at Liverpool that um, 
the, the, the Hodgson era, and more important, that the new ownership uh, would bring better days. This was uh, the, basically the Fenway Sports Group, who now preside over the leading team in England and maybe Europe. Um, uh, they they took over in an extraordinary from Hicks and Gillette. Um, it was they, in fact, who sacked uh, Roy Hodgson, um, and they took over uh, from Hicks and Gillette in an extraordinary uh, sort of coup, where um, the owners were ousted by the board. Uh, it was an extraordinary thing, and uh, so the the club was sold against their their um, will. Um, they took legal action, but uh, you know the outcome for Liverpool supporters could not have been better because the Fenway Sports Group have actually uh, uh, hard men. The way they sacked Hodgson was quite cruel, but uh, they, in the long term, they've provided uh, good backing, and, and above all, they they they, they produced the masterstroke of uh, employing Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, the start of a positive project. Yeah, looking back on it, yeah. Look, I mean, there were, there were setbacks still to come, plenty of them. But uh, if you look back on it, it was, a, it was a historic period and a historic season for Liverpool. Uh, it could have gone very wrong for Fulham losing their manager. Um, but yeah. they did recover yeah. very well um, under new yeah. manager Mark Hughes, yeah. who yes. had been somewhat unfairly psyched at City. So and his yeah. stock was still high and, and does a very good job with Fulham. Um, not, not a lot in the Cups, but a very good, impressive seventh, eighth place in the league. And they get back mm. in the Europa League um, thanks to the yeah. fair play as well. The fair play, yeah. Uh, they also made uh, a great signing at the start of the season in Moussa Dembele. Oh, yeah. Uh, from uh, AZ uh, in Altmar, uh, Holland, uh, recognised now as a, a wonderful player. Every every fo- every player says, "Oh, what a what a what a star!" You know, a bit like Paul Scholes. Uh, you know, he's one of the ones that the players salute. You know, yeah. and uh, uh, he was more of an attacking player at, at Fulham, as I recall, under Mark Hughes, but. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a very very good good team. That Danny Murphy was still around. Zoltan Gira, you know the Europa League heroes: Duff, Simon Davis, Clint Dempsey, who had to play up front because uh, Andy Johnson was injured most of the season. But he did a very good job. Dempsey, twelve goals over the season, absolutely tremendous. Um, uh, Breda Hangeland, uh, the centre back, chipped in six league goals from centre back. Yeah. Uh, a great, another terrific season for him. Chris Baird uh, left at, at fullback. Uh, Aaron Hughes, uh, Mark Schwartz are in goal. So it's the same sort of bunch, really. The Europa League uh, heroes. Um, uh, sorry, I, I said that Andy Johnson missed the season, injured, and that's why Dempsey played centre forward. It wasn't. It was uh, Bobby Zamora, yeah. uh, another of the European heroes who who didn't uh, play for most of the season. Um, so Dempsey had to shoulder the burden for most most of it. But yeah, very, very good season. Um, they, it, funnily enough, it, it, it seems sort of kind of smooth, but it was it was a season of two halves. Um, uh, Hughes wasn't an instant success at all. Yeah. They, they, they Fulham won only two league matches before Christmas, and they seemed certainties to go down. Um, but they got a 2 0 win at Stoke between Christmas and New Year, and, and as you say, ended up eighth. So, um, yep, 
terrific season again for Fulham, although the outcome was to be some turbulence because in the, the summer that preceded it, Hughes uh, expressed such dissatisfaction with the club that he announced that he was going to go somewhere else uh, to, pers to pursue his ambitions. Uh, the, the implication clearly being, I mean, the fans were very upset by this, that Fulham lacked ambition. Yeah, um, similar story at Villa, wasn't it, with Martin O'Neill, who yes. quit on the eve of this season, um, yep. replaced by Gerard Ullier, but you know, this never goes well, no. really. Um, and, it, and it's the beginning of this concern that uh, all the progress that Villa have made in the last three or four years mm -hmm. is really going to be thrown away, isn't it? Yeah, I think O'Neill quite rightly felt, given that he'd uh, improved the team and, well, kept them buoyant, sort of, they seem to be sixth. Every season yeah. they seem to be sixth. Um, and uh, just about a few days before the season began, um, his conversations with uh, Randy Lerner, the owner, another American owner, uh, must have uh, convinced him that he was there was only one they weren't going to go any further and that the only way was down um, so he left and uh, in came Ullier. Um, uh, it, it, the results were not good though there, there was there was no real improvement although they did get a dramatic three all draw at, at, at Chelsea um, and they did, and then they beat Man City at home, uh, and there was a sort of gradual climb into mid-table, and and uh, you know towards the end, I suppose there was a feeling that things were looking up. They, they beat Arsenal and Liverpool at home to finish in the top half, um, and, and, and I mean they, they had made a key move to to sign uh, Darren Bent uh, for a record fee, nineteen million, and that was good. Uh, that was. Uh, um, you know that 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 really was a was a key factor. He got nine in sixteen league games. He'd been Sunderland's you know leading goal scorer as well. Um, so, but Ullier wasn't approved of uh, by by certain sections of the support, mainly because of Villa's results against um, the likes of of Birmingham and Wolves. <laughs> they are they are super sensitive results, you know, like in the same way as a Newcastle manager had better not lose to Sunderland, whatever else he does. Um, so um, anyway, but towards the end of the season, he went to hospital, um, spent a night in hospital, and this was unfortunately too reminiscent of um, the heart aorta problems that he'd had at Liverpool, which had, had, had weakened him there. Um, uh, so it was actually McAllister who was in uh, Gary McAllister, his assistant, who was in charge for the rest of the season. And at the end, uh, Ullier left by mutual consent. And uh, who would take over? But Alex McLeish, <laughs> formerly of Birmingham. Uh, so yeah, it was. Um, there's still there's still plenty of good players to work with. So uh, uh, we'll we'll see next uh, next episode how McLeish gets on with that team. Um. I feel like we haven't given a lot of love to the bouncing baggies, have we? We've always sort of said, no, we'll see them later. Let's talk about them because they've come back into the Premier League, coached by Roberto Di Matteo. They're yeah. back in the top flight. They've got Morrison, Brunt, Reed, all fantastic in midfield. They've got Odin Wingy up front. Mm. Um, but Particularly even, Odin Wingy, yeah. Even that, though, Paddy, Paddy doesn't work out until yeah, in the Premier League that after being promoted, after doing so well to get up under Di Matteo, it doesn't work out and Di Matteo's gone in February. 
Yep, absolutely. But luckily, there's a good manager on the market. <laughs> um, that, <laughs> that was a good thing. Uh, thank you, Liverpool. Thank you, Liverpool, for for uh, sacking Hodgson. Oh, sorry, for reaching mutual agreement or whatever it was with Hodgson. But um, yes, uh, he was on the market. And um, uh, so uh, the Baggies uh, engaged uh, Roy Hodgson. Um, and they won the last 10 games. They won five and drew three. Yeah. Um, and of all those games... I don't think Hodgson would have relished many as much as a 2-1 victory over uh, Liverpool at, yeah. at the Hawthorns. And it was during a spell. Odin Wingy had a, just a wonderful season, scored, uh, scored 15 goals. And, uh, you know, a lot of teams couldn't, pay, uh, couldn't uh, cope with his pace and trickery. And uh, certainly Liverpool came into that uh, got, got came into that category. He got six in that late uh, late spell, Odenwingi, and he absolutely had Liverpool on toast. They, they uh, gave away two penalties by fouling him, and Chris Brunt, brilliant penalty taker, absolutely whacked them away. And so that was uh, a particularly sweet victory for Hodgson and for West Brom because it signalled um, that they were going to stay up. Uh, Bolton uh, gave Owen Coyle such a disservice in the the last episode by suggesting he was sacked by Burnley. Obviously, he was poached by Bolton to, to do yeah. a great job. And they have a strong start here. Top six looks like it's going to be on, but relegation form in the second half of the season. Finished that with five it. defeats, and you just think, oh, bad, bad times are to come for Bolton. Yeah, um, if it hadn't been for those, as, as you rightly say, um, but for those losses in the final five um, it was around the time of the FA Cup semis where they took that pounding and it may well but if you know but for if they'd won two or three of those they'd have been in the top half but as you said you know pushing for Europe but uh, it was still it was a worry going into the summer that's for sure Um, but uh, yeah there there were good players emerging two I particularly like to mention one's Gary Cahill um, and another would be uh, Chung Yong Lee, the Korean w- w- winger. Uh, beautiful technique, lovely player. I particularly Im- uh, uh, enjoyed watching him. Uh, in fact, I think uh, <laughs> I said that he was the best Lee to play on the right wing for Bolton since Francis. Um, older geezers will get that one. Um, uh, Steinson was good at right back, gave him a bit of... And this was Elmander's best season. Yeah, uh, up front uh, helping Kevin Davis a lot. He got ten in the league. Elmondo it was his best season, and then uh, in the final weeks of the season, one of the, you know they got Daniel Sturridge, uh, managed to persuade him to to park himself there for a bit, and he he got uh, made twelve appearances, got eight goals, and and it looked like. You know, you, you began to see that this player who seemed a permanently fringe player at Man City, at Chelsea, that you thought, well, this, if this guy's given his head, he can be, he can be top class. Yeah. And he certainly looked it with those, those figures. Um, so, yeah, uh, just, it just that late tail off always worries you. And, th- and that's the way the Bolton fans would have felt. Yeah, um, teams that we'll talk about in more detail in the next episode, Wolves, Wigan, Newcastle, all lower 
parts of the table that are doing enough to stay up. Wigan with their mm. annual survival dash. Um, but yeah. probably the last team from the upper reaches I want to mention is Sunderland because under Steve Bruce they've got Darren Ben for the first half of the season, Asamoah Jayan, they've got Danny Welbeck, another of those former United um, prodigies yeah. who's only on loan there. And yeah. um, they they I think one of the victories is three 0 at Chelsea in the early part of the season. This yeah. to me, Paddy, is as good as Sunderland have looked for a decade. They finished tenth. Yes, terrific. I mean, this is one of the things about about doing this, and you go into detail season by season, and you realise what a good managerial career Steve Bruce has had. Uh, He takes them up from 13th to 10th, and this is despite selling his top scorer, Darren Bent, who I just mentioned, uh, in January to Villa. Uh, Asamojian took took the mantle, ended up with 10 league goals in 31 appearances. and, and only 20 of those were starts. Uh, Cessignon, do you remember him? Yeah. Uh, he, he came in did, and, and, and did good support, as did Welbeck on loan. Again, you mentioned that. Another thing is that, um, you know, they haven't produced a lot of players, Sunderland, but Jordan Henderson was now established in the side and, and very successfully indeed. He was now a regular. Um, um, yeah, they... they they were actually sixth uh, in January for the throughout the whole whole month. Um, they perhaps that would be the, the the top part of the season. But the 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 nadir, I suppose, would have been a five-one defeat at Newcastle. That would have hurt. Um, but um, yes, very 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 decent performance and one of the goals of the season. I can't remember who it was against, but. By now, Nedum Onua, you remember he was part of that Man City generation of kids, including Stephen Ireland that we mentioned in previous episodes. Um, he um, uh, actually scored in a 3-0 victory at Chelsea, which was Sunderland's result of the season. And the, you, you, you think of Nedum Onua, you think of a strong, quick, decent defender. What you don't think of is Lionel Messi, but that's what he turned into. That's what he turned into. He dribbles, he goes into the box, dribbles brilliantly past uh, uh, three members of one of the best defences in England and scores a great goal. It it is incredible. You need to to Google it. Everybody needs to Google it because it is definitely, for me, the goal of the season. Um, So that's... You know that's it, it's it's got plenty to talk about that season. Uh, Elma, Elma, Moha, you know that Egyptian guy uh, on the right side, El Mohammadi, uh, came in. He's he's had a decent Premier League career, hasn't he? He's a decent career in English football. Uh, Steve Malbrank's still there. Yet another uh, ex Manchester United player, Kieran Richardson, Danny Welbeck, of course, we talked about. David Bardsley, also an ex-Manchester United player. Um, uh, and uh, Goalkeeping, Simon Mignolet has, uh, uh, shares the season with Craig Gordon in goal. Very good performance. You sell your leading goal scorer, you finish 10th. Yeah. Good season. Certainly for Sunderland. Um, not quite as good down at Upton Park, we're rock bottom. There's a little yeah. spell Paddy, though, yeah. just after Christmas, yeah. Avram Grant's the manager, 
It looks like it's, you know, they're the bottom for most of the first half of the season. They've got a good run in the League Cup. They get to yeah. the semi-final and they lose in extra, extra time against Birmingham. Yeah. Then they get yeah. to the quarter-final of the FA Cup, like I mentioned earlier, they, they lose to Stoke City in mid-March. Yeah. Then they first, uh, face United the first game of April. They're 2-0 mm. up. Mm. It just feels like this is one one catastrophe too many for them. Um, yeah. they, they fall behind and they... They just do not recover from this um, setback. No. They're two nil. No. They're two nil up. They go down, and then for the rest of the season, I mean, they lose seven of their last eight. Um, it's mm. abysmal, isn't it? Yeah, it's abysmal, and uh, you know, Grant was sort of like a dead man walking, as they say. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was a team that maybe had enough to stay up. You know, Rob Green, Gabby Don, and Ups, and a centre back uh, Parker. Footballer of the years in the team, you know, yeah. Noble, Bormort, Carlton Cole. Uh, we saw what he did to United in the League Garden Cup. Picky on and Abona, Obina. Uh, they should have had enough uh, to stay up, but uh, you know, clearly, you know, poor old Albatross Avram, you know, has done it again. But um, yeah. Um, they got 43 goals, which is higher than the average. In fact, the, you needed a lot of points to stay up in this season. Nearly 40. You need 40 points to stay up, I think. Um, but anyway, West Ham couldn't do it, and that was it. Yeah, they are down. So Manchester was still red, despite Paddy's joke about it turning blue. The Premier League had so far <laughs> evaded domination from its second cash-rich monster, but resistance, as they say, is futile. 